grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Thanks, Nathan. Good morning, everybody. Wow, this is really empty right here. You guys are all in the back, um, so this is going to be weird. But, well, before we get into the message today, uh, I have something I want to share, and I want to start uh, doing that with a story. A few years back, I was working a job, uh, as people do, uh, but it was a, not a ministry job. I had served in ministry for a while and just had a bad experience, was kind of wounded there, and just didn't really want anything to do with, with serving in that capacity. And then a few couple years into uh, working that job, the Lord really started stirring the idea of ministry back on my heart and, and giving me a desire for that and reminding me of the calling he had placed on my life. And not long after, I'm sitting at my home and Robbie Severson says that he's in town. And uh, he gives me a call, says, hey, can I stop by? He, I say, sure. So he, he comes over. Um, he's living here at this time. And so he's in town for a wedding. He comes over, Starbucks in hand, uh, not for me, for him. And I think he had a migraine at the time, too, uh, which are details you do not need to know. Um, but he started telling me about this church, Hillside Community Church. And this church that he's serving at now in, in Vermilion, South Dakota. And as the uh, conversations progress, you know, he starts hinting at, like, would we be interested at all? Uh, in coming. And over time, those conversations continued. And, you know, I'm thinking, oh, cool, Vermilion, South Dakota. I wonder if that's like near the Black Hills or anything. <laughs> you know, uh, that'll be fun. And um, eventually, we continued to, to talk and, and ended up coming. Uh, and I'm so glad that we did because God provided the right opportunity at the right time for me. And this was, was what I had needed. And I'm so glad uh, we said yes to that call. You know, Jesus in the gospel says that anyone who leaves a home or a family for his sake will receive a hundredfold in this life, family and fields and home, homes. And I have experienced that through you guys. You have brought us in uh, as family here. And I, I look out at this room and I just love you guys so deeply. I really I really do, especially, especially you, Dennis Johnson. Sorry to single you out. But I just love this, this congregation. Uh, but over the last several months, God has, has, again, stirred things in my heart, really specific things for teaching and leading and outreach and all these different things. And now God has provided, again, the right opportunity at the right time for what we believe for, for our family and so we've accepted the opportunity to lead a, a CMA church back in Montana. And it is hard because I love this congregation so much. I love this church so deeply. You guys really have become family to uh, Taylor and us and, and our boys uh, and our little girl that we now get to go back with. Um, but I, I just want to, you know, when... When I was coming here, when I first started, I was talking with a pastor um, friend who was an associate pastor, just like, hey, how do you associate pastor? I don't know how you do that. Uh, and he said, he just gave me this counsel of don't just think about what God's going to do through you there. Think about what God's going to do in you there. And 
this time has served so much healing for me. I, I remember the first time I preached, I hadn't preached a you know, in-person sermon in probably four years, and I came here and I preached probably a pretty subpar sermon, and I sat down and I just wept like a baby because like something in me broke, like this, this scar that I had uh, had over ministry had not healed, but just had, had scarred over and it broke. And this has just been a so important time for us and our family and for me uh, to grow in, in ministry. Um, and, and so he said, don't just think about what God's going to do through you there at that church. Like, oh, you're going to go do all these things. And I hope, you know, and believe our time here has been fruitful for sure. But I do look out and I think you guys have left a bigger mark on us than we've left on you. And this was just such a necessary time of, of healing for us. And, and genuinely, I just want to say thank you uh, for giving us the space to grow in, in what it looks like to be a pastor, to learn how to pastor well. Uh, for Why are you crying? <laughs> just kidding. That was my wife. Um, <laughs> but just to say, like, we have grown and we have healed and we have made I, what I hope to be lifelong relationships in this place. And I, it's going to hurt because I'm going to miss you guys so deeply. And I love you. And I know you guys are new and you're like, what is wrong with this guy? Um, but I just... I just want to say thank you. And if you want more details, I'm happy to ch chat with you after service or uh, talk. You know, we're, we'll still be here for another month or so. I'd love to uh, go out well and to make the most of our uh, most of our time here uh, that we still have left, and would love to spend it with you guys. And so, uh, yeah, let's just make the most of this next five or six weeks or whatever we have left. And, and again, that's from the bottom of my heart, say thank you for playing such an integral chapter in the story of our life and our calling in ministry. And uh, I'm going to invite Robbie up to come pray. And I'll just point out, you know, it's, you know it's time to go when you start dressing alike. So I'm just going to put that out there. Um, but I do want to say, you guys have a... <laughs> you guys have a great pastor. And I love this guy. And go easy on him in our absence. Jeez, Louise. But seriously, you guys have, I love your pastor. And it hurts to leave, to leave you and to leave uh, all of you. So take it over, big guy. <laughs> Let me make things awkward for me and for the rest of them real sure, quick, too. That you're good at that, yeah. Will you make eye contact with me? That's the first awkward moment for me. But, uh, Dan, you are a gifted shepherd. I want them to hear that. I want you to hear that from me. And we're going to miss you deeply. And these people, we're just so lucky, lucky to have been able to experience two years with you here and the church in Missoula is lucky to have you and Taylor and your family. Your love for people is huge and it will be a great impact wherever you go. And I said it this morning, but your calling goes with you. You didn't show up to Vermilion and get a calling. You're not going to show up to Missoula and get a calling. Your calling is to ministry and to people and you're good at it. And so it's no wonder why churches stole you from us. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let me you did, pray for... You did make it awkward. 
Yeah, let me pray for Dan and Taylor real quick. Lord, thank you so much for the ministry of the Wildies. And Lord, thank you for bringing them uh, to Vermilion for this season. And God, thank you for the calling that you've placed on their lives to minister the gospel wherever they go. And Father, we do thank you, especially this morning, for um, the calling that you've placed on their life for Missoula. And um, Father, I do pray that as they prepare to go, as I've already prayed this morning, Lord, that you would um, just be in the little details as they work to list their house and sell it, as they work to get all the little details put together, as their kids pull all the toys out again and again and again. As, um, Lord, just be with them. Father, I pray as a church that we would surround them. Uh, and send them well. We love you, Lord. We are so grateful again for their ministry here and even for the next five weeks that we get with them. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now I get the joy of preaching. So I don't know how to transition after that, uh, but I was told after an announcement like that, I can preach a terrible sermon because none of you are listening because you're still processing. So I'm just going to go with that. I don't know if I should say this. I'm going to try to keep it shorter, though, because of that. Uh, But I said try. So we'll see. Uh, But we are continuing our Ephesians series, and Paul really gets uh, into starting to unpack the gospel. What is the gospel and what the gospel does in our lives? And today today we get to explore a familiar uh, but rich couple of verses. And these verses are really a summary of the Christian faith. Like if you were stuck on an elevator with somebody and they asked you, like, what do you believe? This is it. This is the essence of of Christianity. Like if you had to boil it down to something, this is the gospel that we believe and proclaim. Here's your answer. And this is the essence. The, The essence of Christianity is built on grace. It is. And while we know that to be true, I think, Many of us still struggle with the reality of that and how that works out in our lives. I was talking with uh, someone this last week in our church, and they were just sharing that, uh, you know, often, she said, often I think of grace being for the unbeliever, like the gospel's for the unbeliever, Uh, but we often forget that grace is for us. And then she started saying, you know, and based on that, then we start kind of going into this performance mentality uh, where we had a good spiritual day or a bad spiritual day. Like, did we hit all our markers or not? And then we actually start boasting in ourselves. We're not boasting in what God has done. We're boasting in our accomplishments, both good or bad. And as we just continue to talk, she's saying how she's was saying how you end up so hyper fixating on our, on yourself whether you hit your spiritual markers, whether you did your devotions time or prayed enough or made that conversation uh, you were supposed to have with a person, maybe in an elevator, I don't know. And, and she was starting to verbalize that it's hard to remember that grace is for us. Grace isn't just for the unbeliever, it's for us. That if it's, and if, it's, if the gospel is grace, and that we didn't earn it, that w- then we don't have to constantly be anxious about, like, are we going to ruin it? Like, because I had a bad day. And what she said that was so interesting, and I think so true, she said, I'm, I realize I'm giving myself too much power. I'm believing that my sin is stronger or bigger than God's grace. And I bring that up because I don't, think she's the only one in this room uh, or in this church 
that struggles with that. I think a lot of us struggle with the reality, like we have a hard time wrapping our minds around <laughs> grace or wrapping our hearts or our lives around grace. So we, we, you know, we write it in our doctrinal statements, but we, don't, we struggle to wear it in our relationships. Or we might quote it or sing about it, but we really struggle to believe it for ourselves when we fall short, when we don't hit our spiritual markers for the day. Or maybe we read about it or we preach about it, but we quickly forget our need for it when we do hit all our spiritual markers for the week. And so since many of us wrestle with the reality of it, today I just want to grapple with grace. And I want to take it in two parts, what grace is and what grace does. First, what grace is. Paul says in verse 8, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. The word, the Greek word for grace literally refers to a, a, like a tangible gift. And then Paul, you know, he reiterates it in the sentence. He's saying, it is God's gift. This salvation through grace is, is what? He says, it's a gift. But what are we supposed to do with a gift? Yeah, I don't know about you, but I hate opening gifts in front of people. Like Christmas in the 90s was like low-key torture for me at Nanambapa's because uh, I felt so obligated to give a response. Like even if I don't like the sweater, Grandma, you know, like I'm still going to pretend uh, that I do. And I'm just personally really, really bad at like faking, uh, like being happy or loving something. And uh, I think that in our culture, we often think of gifts you know, we'd kind of define a gift as no strings attached, right? But it, is it possible that that's actually more just kind of Western 21st century culture than what Paul had in mind? You know, because one, one uh, 20th century philosopher said this, for there to be a gift, there must, must be no reciprocity, return, exchange, countergift, or debt. Is it possible that's actually more Derrida than the Apostle Paul? That's more our culture than the ancient Greco-Roman world that Paul was living in. But that, like, that's why I'm so bad at receiving gifts, because uh, I don't want to have any expectations on me. Like, you expect me to respond, and I just, I can't fake it. Like, if you give me a good gift, like, I, I will respond well. But if uh, you give me something I didn't really want, I'm, I'm sorry. But I don't want you to, like, expect anything of me. But what's interesting is uh, one commentator, John Barclay, he uh, has done a lot of work in this area of gifts in that uh, context that Paul is writing in. And he says this, what grace conveys is not a thing, but a person. It establishes a relationship where the gift cannot be separated from the person who gave it. Grace is not an object passed from Christ to believers or a quality infused into them. It is first and foremost a transformative relationship with the giver. And so a gift in, in Paul's world is directly tied to the giver. And it requires a response to uh, the giver. It's a way of initiating relationship. And so in, in that culture, they, because it was a way of initiating relationship, gifts were given out a lot more carefully. And gifts were given out a lot more discriminatively. And so it's kind of like the best example I could think of, of would be like when uh, I bought this ring for Taylor to get engaged. 
you know, and so I did the whole deal and got down on a knee and proposed. And there was a gift. The, the gift was there, but it was directly tied to the giver. It wasn't like, hey, have this ring. It was like, hey, here's a, a ring. Uh, and there's a, a question attached to that ring. There's a relationship attached to it. It required a response uh, to the relationship that it came with. And so while the, while the gift of God's grace doesn't have strings attached, it, it does come with an expectation of a relational response. But what was unique about God's grace was who it was actually extended to. So gifts were given to those who well, were in some way worthy of it or had earned it in some way. And uh, to, for God to give a gift to someone who didn't deserve it was almost looked at as like irresponsible. Like that was, you're enabling, that's irresponsible to do so. And so what's unique about Paul's view of God's gift in, in his world is that it was given without any regard to the worthiness of the recipient. What's unique is that it was given out of benevolence. Not that somebody had earned it or done anything uh, in order to receive it, but that it was given to those who could do nothing to earn it. God's grace was and is benevolent. It doesn't go to the highest bidder. It doesn't go to somebody who's proven themselves. It doesn't go to even the most deserving, but rather to those who know how undeserving they really are. Augustine said, God gives, God gives where he finds empty hands. To receive the gift of grace, we have to come with empty hands and realize we have contributed nothing to it. You know, in fact... God gives gifts not only to those who don't deserve it, but even to his enemies. Romans, Paul says this, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Once enemies, then brought near as sons and daughters. So grace is this benevolent, undeserved relational gift that we respond to. So that's what grace is. Secondly, what does grace do? A few things. One, it changes how we relate to God. Paul says, for you are saved by grace through faith. Saved. What does it mean to be saved? When we talk about salvation, what do, what, what do we mean as Christians? Uh, a couple things. Most of us immediately think about what we are saved from, which is true. That's how Paul starts in chapter 2. Robbie touched on that last week. We're saved from death and our trespasses and sins and our inclinations of the flesh and the wrath of God. This is what most of us think about when we think about salvation, rightfully so. We're saved from this coming just wrath of God. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, talks about Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. So that is true. That is a serious and sobering reality. But salvation is more than just forgiveness. It's also deliverance from death and the slavery of sin and this wrath. These things described in verses 1 through 3. We are saved or delivered from the penalty and power of sin. But is that all salvation is as insurmountable or like as huge as that is? Is that all it is? While it is, that is certainly true and a huge element of it, it's also a bit incomplete. Because we aren't just saved from something, but we are saved to something. Paul lays this out in the, be, in the beginning of chapter 2. Not just what we're saved from, but also where we are seated. 
When I was in college, I was living up in Fargo, North Dakota, and my friend Jake and I, we really got into this uh, thing called, it was just called spearing. It's like ice fishing, but you cut a big hole in the ice, kind of looks like a widescreen TV, and you spear northern pike. Uh, really fun. But one day we went out uh, east of Fargo in, in Minnesota, and you know we were driving like a Chevy Cavalier or something, and uh, we go out, and then the whole time we're there, it's just pounding snow. And so when we go to leave, you know, it's getting dark, and there's, now there's like a foot of snow, and this is not, definitely not an off-road vehicle, so we find ourselves not able to go any further. And so we are, end up being stranded. It's freezing cold out. It is, uh, you know, like January up in Fargo area, just terrible. And we didn't know what we were going to do. And so we... We're just like so helpless, and we just knock on doors. You know, it's like this, there's some lake, a lot of cabins, but then like some lake homes are like, okay, their lights are on. It seems like somebody's in there. And so we just knock on this door, desperate and helpless. And we meet this wonderful elderly couple, and they invite us in, and they let us stay the night. And we watch, uh, you know, they invite us to watch Downton Abbey, whatever that show is called with them, and they, they make us breakfast in the morning. They like took us in as our own. And not only did they save us from a frigid, dying death in the snow, which we desperately needed rescuing from, they also invited us into their home and treated us as if we were their own sons or grandsons. And Paul will go on to say later in this chapter, you were far off but now you've been brought near. You've been brought into the home, seated in the heavenly realms with God. You're not just saved from the wrath of God. You're made a child, a beloved of God. Sam Albury says this, Jesus has not just transacted us out of our doom. He has brought us into his home. Salvation is both. That's what it means to be saved. It changes our relationship with God. We who were God's enemies become God's family. That's what grace does. It's not just like a white flag treaty, you know, to, to not be destroyed. It's being embraced as a son or a daughter. Like a child running for their life in a war zone, we're not only saved from death, but brought in and embraced into a family, adopted into new life. We've been made alive, exalted, seated in the heavenly realm, and we are reconciled to God the Father through the gift of grace. It changes how we relate to God. God's grace doesn't just make us not enemies of God, but makes us sons and daughters of him. It also, change, grace changes how we relate to others. Paul says, so that no one can boast. So that no one can boast. Sorry, it changes how we relate to ourselves so that no one can boast. What is boasting? Often, I think when I hear the word boast, I just think bragging, uh, which is true, but it's, it's more than that. It's actually trusting in something. If to use an example from that culture more, it'd be like a warrior would boast uh, before a battle in the things they trusted in. In like how many chariots we have. Yeah, you know, it'd be like a pump up kind of huddle thing sort of like a pep talk, you can do it thing. And so you boast in the things that you think are going to save you. I had a friend in college, we'll call him Will, because that's his name. 
but he had this list of like self-affirmation things he'd always read. Uh, in college, we'd make fun of him for it. Um, but he'd be like, you can stick to your schedule. You are successful. You are disciplined. You know, that kind of guy, love him to death. Uh, but he was boasting in those things, in himself, and trying to make them true. And so we all boast in something. We all put our confidence in something to try to feel okay in life. We can boast in our careers or our health or our looks, our <laughs> grades, our, our family, our spouse, or even our religious activity. We can boast in really good things. And Paul's actually saying don't, don't uh, not boast in anything, but don't boast in yourselves because you did nothing to earn it. How are you going to boast about a gift? What do you have that you haven't received? So if you've probably understood the gospel, it cannot lead to boasting towards others or in yourself. What did you do to earn God's grace? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, it is not from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became Wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul's saying you cannot boast in yourself. You do boast in something, so boast in the Lord. Don't rest in your ability. Don't trust in yourself. Boast in God and what he has done for you through Jesus Christ, which is grace. Or like David in Psalm 20, he says, some take pride in chariots and others in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord, our God. And how this changes how we view ourselves is we, when you don't boast in yourself, you don't rely on yourself to be okay. And you can actually be gracious to yourself. Like how many of us need that? Oftentimes the, the people we are most cruel to are ourselves. And it's not that we don't have godly sorrow or mourn over our sin. I'm, I'm not definitely not saying that. But some of us, we just beat ourselves up. And it's actually because we're boasting and trusting in ourselves, in our ability or in our inability, if we don't hit our markers that week. That's not the gospel. That's not grace. Grace isn't just for between you and God. It's between us and others and between uh, us and ourselves, how we treat ourselves. You know, pay attention to the way you talk to yourself. I did this a few years ago, and it was concerning, the things I would say to myself that I would never say to anyone. I mean, I would call myself an idiot for the simplest things. I would never say that to anyone else. And how we talk about to ourselves or view ourselves reveals a lot about what we believe about God, what we believe about grace, and what we believe about how he views us. It reveals a ton about our true beliefs. Lastly, grace changes how we relate to others. If we understand the gospel, we cannot feel superior to others. You just can't. Paul is saying you cannot take credit for this. You cannot boast. What did you do? Nothing. Often we are humble when we come to God and experience the gospel, but then as we grow in our faith or we think we're growing in our faith, we start to forget our need for grace. We start thinking over time, like, I, you know, I kind of earned this. Like, yeah, God did the heavy lifting, but I contributed a little bit. And so then we start looking down on others. We start looking down on other Christians. You know, why don't they get their act together like me? 
Paul is saying, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? You have earned nothing. This is a gift. Your responsibility is to respond to that gift. You know, sadly, many of us, we believe the right theology. But we don't embody that same theology. And if your theology leads to contempt rather than humility, you may want to double-check where you're getting that theology. You may want to second-guess that. I've used this quote before, but Augustine says this, and I just always come back to it. And Augustine was one of the most influential theologians ever. So a Bible thumper if you ever met one. And he said this, So anyone who thinks that he has understood the divine scriptures or any part of them, but cannot, by his understanding, build up this double love of God and neighbor, has not yet succeeded in understanding them. If our theology does not lead to humility and loving others and having grace towards others, we need to question it. Are we growing in grace towards others? And that doesn't mean there's never consequences for people's actions or healthy boundaries. I mean, if for people that have gone through terrible things, it's not, people can try to abuse Christian grace. Like, oh, I thought you were a Christian. It's all about grace. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there's not a time for consequences. God lets us suffer our consequences often, and he disciplines us as sons and daughters that he loves. But overall, despite those you know, particular scenarios, are we growing in grace towards others? If you're condescending towards other Christians or even towards people outside of the faith, maybe that have radically different worldviews, on what basis? What makes you better than them? You responded. But what makes you more deserving than them? So who are we to look down on anyone else? If we're just looking out at people thinking... They need to get their act together. I don't know that we've really understood the gospel. Or we have and we've forgotten or grown cold. It's like the parable in Matthew 18 uh, where there's a king and servants and and the servant owes a ton of money. I'll just read a couple of the verses uh, for sake of time. But uh, Jesus says this, giving a parable. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion and released him and forgave him the loan. 28, that servant, who was just forgiven a great debt, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. The first guy was literally forgiven 60 million denarii. Wiped clean. He goes to somebody else that owes him a hundred and tries to choke him out. Like, do you see the disconnect there? But we do, we do the same thing. Like, God forgives us of terrible things and things that we would never let slide with anybody else. And then we don't offer grace to someone about some petty thing. And notice that it's not in this parable. It's not that the man wasn't forgiven. He was. It's not that he didn't uh, know that he was forgiven. He did. He knew the truth in his head, but that truth had not gotten into his heart and overflowed into relationships. Sam Albury again says, a believer or church can trumpet the doctrine of grace justification while at the same time being crippled with the dysfunctions of self-justification. 
For some of us, the gospel has not made it past our heads. It's important. It's important to know theology, know the gospel, but at some point we have to actually embody that theology. We have to let this gift of grace change us from the inside out as Christ is formed in us. It's possible to be orthodox in our beliefs, but heterodox in our actions and our attitude towards others. But really, the gospel should transform this church culture. It should play out socially in our our relationships, where we realize, man, we are all on the same level. It doesn't matter our gender or our career or even whether we are parents or children. Paul will get into that even honoring our kids, honoring parents. In God's new society, we're all, as far as our standing with the Lord, we're all on the same level. You know, I've read a, a story recently about a pastor uh, that there was this lady in his church going through some stuff, and uh, she hadn't been to church for quite some time. And he, so he ran into her at the store or something and said, hey, hey, we really miss you at church. And she said, I'm waiting until the storm passes and I've got things back together enough to be able to walk back into the church building. That woman thought that she had to get her act together before she could come back to church. That's a, a heartbreaking disconnect between what we, we say we believe about this gospel of grace and how she views that church family. And it broke his, the pastor's heart because church was exactly the community that she needed. But yet in her mind, whether through her own fault or not, it was the last place she felt safe to go because her life was falling apart. There's a disconnect often in our lives between what we say we believe and what we truly do believe, I think, and how we live our lives towards ourselves, towards God, and towards others. And Paul in Romans 15, 7 says this. I've just been loving this verse lately. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. How has Christ welcomed you? With grace, gentleness, humility. He humbled himself. How we welcome others should reflect how he has welcomed us. And the the gospel should make us fall on our faces with humility and gratitude and thankfulness. Uh, But often, because of our deceitful hearts or fallen hearts, we somehow twist it to be like a means of pride. And Paul's like, hey, if if salvation was through your works, you would have a basis for pride. You would have a basis for boasting because you would have earned something. But that's not how this worked. So if we are constantly berating others for falling short, then we have to wonder if we've really understood God's grace. We might, like the parable, we might have been forgiven. We might be a son or daughter of God. We might even understand that in our heads. But have we fully grasped it enough to start embodying it, to get this theology not just known but but lived? And often... How we treat others reveals how we treat ourselves. If, I, if I'm super harsh with myself or, or with others, it probably reflects on me being super harsh with myself. And how I treat myself reveals a lot about what I believe to be true about God and how he views me. It, it reveals our core beliefs, what we actually, how we act and, and what comes out when things go wrong. When life hits the fan, 
Again, we might have all the right answers on the test. We might write all the right statements, be able to pass. But do our lives reflect the gospel of grace? So grace, when properly applied, transforms our relationship with God, our relationship with self, and our relationship with others. And it's not that works don't matter. We'll get into that in a few weeks. When Carl preaches, they certainly do. Paul's just saying you're not saved by them. They aren't what got you the gift. Worship team, you can come back up. The beauty of being saved by grace is that if it didn't depend on you, then it doesn't depend on you now. We don't have to live with this anxiety. Like if you did nothing to earn the gift, what are you possibly going to do to disqualify yourself from the gift? Your works are our proof of receiving this gift, not the means of earning it. It's a response to the gift that is our responsibility. God extends open hands in grace, offering us a gift. How are we going to respond? And when we do, how are we going to live that out in the way we interact with others, interact with ourselves, and interact with God? So we can live in utter assurance whether we hit our spiritual markers that day or not. And realize that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The beauty of Christianity is that it is a gift and a gift of grace. And if we understand that fully, it'll transform the way we live and it actually leads to a life of freedom. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, we thank you for the gift. And not just a a gift, but a gift that comes uh, in a relationship. God, the gift of Christ on the cross and, and being reconciled to you as sons and daughters of you. Father, we who were once far off, we who were enemies of you, were brought near by your love, by your grace for us. And I just pray that that would get past our heads, into our hearts, and into our hands in the way we talk to others and treat others and love others and how we talk about ourselves and view ourselves. God, will you just make the gospel tangible to us? We pray all this in your name. Amen.